Go ahead. Yeah, we, can, we can clap. It's okay here. So, true to form, uh, Looney Tunes is great for this because uh, as I was preparing, uh, I, I kept hearing and was convicted that uh, convicted to loosen up a bit, to improvise, and what I heard was less orchestra, more jazz. And I'll explain that here in just a minute. But then we, we go through the weekend. It's been a very busy weekend for us. And this morning, my daughter. We give her a hard-boiled egg for breakfast, and she breaks it open. She starts playing with the yolk like it's a super a bouncy ball, and I'm like, "What are you doing?" So it's Looney Tunes all over our house this morning, and I'm like, "What is going on?" I have to give the message this morning, and then I was reminded, less orchestra, more jazz. As we've been listening to these Bible stories, the, it, I, I'm, I'm reminded that our God is a God who likes to shake things up a little bit. I think He likes jazz. <laughs> which is great because I like jazz. Good morning, everybody. My name is David Lefebvre, and I'm an elder here at Oikos Church. If you're a guest here uh, or if you've popped in and out, uh, we welcome you. Uh, chances are you've probably been hugged way too much already, and that's okay. Just It's okay to say, I, I've had enough. It, it's all right. Uh, but I do want to welcome you here from the pulpit. Um, before we, we get into today's message, I'm going to kind of set a little bit of the, the, the stage for you. So we've been talking a lot about the Old Testament stories, and now we're going to kind of fast forward a whole bunch of time and a whole lot of pages and go to kind of the last 20% of the Bible here. We're going to go to the New Testament. We're going to go past all the Gospels, so Jesus' birth, his, his years of ministry, his death, his glorious resurrection. Now we're going to go to the book of Acts. In the, in the first chapter of Acts, Jesus spends some more time with, his, some time with his disciples, and he ascends to heaven, and as he's going into heaven, they're staring, and they're just, they're just standing there, wondering what to do, they're, and, and the angel says, go, go and get, and, and it took him a little bit to get moving. So then we go to the second chapter of Acts, they had to do a little bit more waiting, and we have the time of Pentecost, it's 50 days after the Passover celebration, and uh, the Holy Spirit arrives, and there's this amazing miracle. A few days after that, we have an amazing sermon from uh, St. Peter, and thousands of people are, are converted to Christianity, and they start believing in Jesus, and there's amazing things that are happening. And now we've got to fast forward 12 more years, and that's where we are today. And we're going to introduce a guy named Herod Agrippa. This guy is uh, a piece of work. So he, this, is, uh, this is not the same Herod that we, we read about every Christmas uh, who, who you know, tried to kill all the sons, the, the babies in Bethlehem and around Judea because he was afraid of the prophecy of Jesus' birth and Mary and Joseph escape. Great, wonderful story. Not that Herod. This is his grandson. King Herod Agrippa is a very skilled politician. Very skilled politician. One of his best friends is Caligula, who is a, a treat himself. He's the Rome, he will eventually become the Roman, uh, the next Caesar. Uh, and Caligula who wanted to put a, a statue of the Roman eagle on the temple in Jerusalem. And Herod Agrippa, being a very skilled politician, convinces him that's a really, really bad idea. The Jews will revolt and you will have a war on your hands. It won't last very long because the Romans are very strong. But he's a very skilled politician. As I was reflecting on it, I was reminded of, uh, ironically enough, uh, Abraham Lincoln. Anybody the movie Lincoln with Daniel Day-Lewis? What an amazing movie. And one of the things that I gathered from it was how human 
Abraham Lincoln was. He was a very skilled politician. We tend to like hold him up like, like, like a Jesus character, and he was actually a very skilled politician. He knew when to keep himself ignorant and when to send his, his guys out to do their thing. I mean, there's all kinds of bribery in the movie and all kinds of stuff. It's, it's fantastic. King Herod is similarly a very good politician, but he's evil Abe Lincoln. He doesn't set anybody free. He does quite the opposite. Let's take a listen. Acts 12, jailbreak. Barnabas and Saul arrived in Jerusalem about the time King Herod decided to persecute the Christians. He started by arresting James, the brother of John. Eventually, Herod had James killed. When he saw how much this pleased the Jews, he arrested Peter and had him put in prison. Sixteen soldiers guarded him. The church began praying for Peter and didn't stop. The night before he was to be executed, Peter was sleeping between two guards. His hands and feet were in chains. The other guards were standing next to various doors in the prison. Suddenly an angel appeared and filled the prison cell with light. Peter didn't wake up, so the angel poked him. Wake up and get dressed. Peter looked up and saw the angel, but didn't believe this was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Still, he got up and his chains dropped to the floor. The angel said, follow me. Peter followed him through several guard posts until they came to the iron gate that led out into the city. Peter watched as it opened by itself. They went along a city street when suddenly the angel disappeared. Peter stood alone in the night air and finally realized he wasn't dreaming. He went to where believers were praying for him and knocked on the gate. The servant girl came to answer. She was surprised to hear Peter's voice through the door. She ran back into the house and yelled, Peter is standing at the door. They didn't believe her, but she kept saying, I know what I heard. Peter is at the door. They said, that's impossible. Peter's in prison. You probably heard his angel. Peter continued knocking at the door, so they finally opened it. They were shocked when they saw him standing there and they all started talking at the same time. Peter said, please, let me tell you what happened. He then told them exactly how the Lord sent an angel to deliver him. They all gave praise to God for what he had done. The next morning, the guards were horrified to find that Peter was missing. When Herod found out, he had all 16 men executed. Herod then went to a resort on the coast and delivered a speech to a crowd of people. After he was done, they shouted, this is the voice of a God. Herod was filled with pride. Suddenly an angel struck him. He was infested with worms and died. The work of God continued to grow and spread. Barnabas and Saul left Jerusalem and headed back to Antioch, taking John Mark with them. A really interesting passage. So let's back up a little bit towards the beginning. So Herod Agrippa, very skilled politician, knew that he needed to win favor with the Jews because this is 12 years after the Pentecost. And so 
remind you, at this time, Christianity is not a religion unto itself. Rather, it is a movement inside the, the, the Jewish people. And it is seen as seditious, as uh, treasonous, uh, because they had what was called an oligarchy, meaning that there's no separation of church and state. They're the same thing, right? The religious leaders and the political leaders are the exact same people, except for King Herod, because the Romans had kind of put their government on top of it. So if you don't subscribe to the same things that the, the Jewish leaders subscribe to, you are committing treason. And so, and right after, right around the time of Pentecost, Peter gets imprisoned along with some of the other disciples and uh, something very similar happens, they are freed. So this time, Herod Agrippa learned his lesson. He said, okay, I'm gonna chain you up to four squads of four soldiers each. That's 16 people to guard one guy because he was not going to let Peter escape. But guess what? He did. So the night before Peter was to be placed on trial, and Peter knows the result at this point because uh, Herod Agrippa had already executed one of the disciples, beheaded him. Uh, in the Jewish culture, that is a very disrespectful way to die. Uh, they would normally stone you to death, which I, I, I honestly, given the choice, I'd probably take the, uh, the, the sword over stones, um, but that's what they believed. So Peter's in prison, and he's asleep. And so you read this, you're like, you're, you're, you're going to be put on trial. You know what's going to happen. It's not like there is a, a jury of your peers who might not convict. No, you, you are going to be put to death, and Peter's asleep. The, the church tradition is that because Peter was so strong in his faith and is in fact the first pope, right? Because he is so strong in his faith, he was asleep because he had all confidence in the world that nothing was going to happen. And here's where they get it from. Let's take a look real quick. We're going to go to John chapter 21. This is the very end of the book of John. It's a really cool chapter. Bookmark it for later because there's all kinds of really neat things that happen, but we're going to pay attention to two verses here in particular. So John 21, verses 18 and 19. Jesus is talking to Peter and says, I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. So Peter had prophesied to him by Jesus exactly the kind of death that he would suffer. And the tradition is that because Peter knew this, he was asleep because he, had, he was a strong man of faith. And as I meditated on this chapter and, and prayed about it, what I, what I, I kept hearing something about dig deeper. Mind you, this is 12 years after the Pentecost, his, his, you know, 12 years after Jesus had said this. So think for a moment back 12 years from now, so it's 2018, and that would be 2006. Think back to 2006 and try to remember something significant that a pastor had said in a sermon. You're laughing because, right, exactly. 
Right. Now, this is a very significant prophecy, right? I mean, it's about his death and it's Jesus. That's really important. It's still about 12 years later. And I have to wonder if Acts chapter 12 was a little different than that. Because, mind you, this is Peter who, right after the Passover with Jesus, denied Jesus three times in one night. He was constantly trying to win the approval of Jesus. If you read through the gospel accounts of Peter, he's always wanting to be at Jesus' right side, to be his, his, his go-to guy. And in, at one point, Jesus even said to Peter, away from me, Satan. Right? He, try, he was always trying so hard. And so I have to wonder if it happened just a little bit differently. So Peter's asleep in prison. And I wonder if it's not because he was so confident that nothing was going to happen to him. I wonder if either he was just exhausted or he, knew, he thought he was going to die. So, indeed, faith that he'll accept whatever the end is. And so he's sleeping in his prison cell when all of a sudden the lights come on. And he gets whapped upside the head and... Every time we have a, a lot of times we have an angel appear in the Bible, the angel has like a flaming sword. So he's asleep in his cell, gets whapped, and sees that there's lights everywhere, and the, you know, the angel's holding a flaming sword. Like, you just did what? And so he's looking at the angel, he's realizing, okay, this, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is new, this is different. Oh my gosh. Uh, and it's been quite a long time, like almost a decade, since some of the, the really, really big miracles, like the, the Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit arrives and tongues of fire and all kinds of stuff. And so Peter, kind of in a trance almost, he just woke up. I can, you know, I'm thinking about when my kids wake me up at like four in the morning, and it takes me a little minute to figure out what in the world is going on. And so the, there's light everywhere, and uh, you know, the, the Fabio-like character is leading him through the doors, and he's just kind of walking out, and I, I, maybe he even remembers Jesus' prophecy. And he's like, oh my gosh, this might be the end. This might be it. This is what, oh, I gotta stick out my arms. Okay, I'm following, I'm following. I'm following, I'm following, okay, the doors are opening, and he's like, oh, okay, is, is this what Jesus is telling me, that, that this is how I'm going to die, and then he goes into the streets of Jerusalem, he feels a little bit of sand on his feet, he's just walking, kind of shuffling along, and then the lights go down, and the angel disappears, and he's still got his arms held out to his side, and he looks around and realizes it's the middle of the night, he's in Jerusalem still, it's not another town, he is a fugitive who just escaped from prison, oh, sheep! And then he comes to his senses. He's like, wait a minute. This really happened. God didn't show me another vision. This really just happened. I am not going to be executed. I am free. But I'm still in Jerusalem. I got to get out of Dodge. So he goes, he goes to, the, to Mary's house where everybody is praying. And he knocks on the door furiously, and Rhoda comes to the door, and she's like, hey, Peter, wait, Peter? And he's like, yeah, let me in, let me in, because he just escaped from prison, and he's not in another town, so he, he's got to do something, and she leaves. <laughs> she leaves him at the door. How, that's, that's incredible, you, you can't have, you couldn't write better drama than that. <laughs> and he's standing, and so he's standing outside, he's furiously knocking on the door, because reality is really setting in, Right? Uh, and, and then the people inside are like, it's Peter's angel. That's kind of weird. 
At no other point in Scripture is there a reference that I know of to a guardian angel that like looks like us, that like our doppelganger angel that is identical to us. So rather than believe that God had set Peter free, they believed instead he had a duplicate guardian angel that looks just like him, talks just like him, and is not carrying a flaming sword. But people, I got to tell you, we do this all the time. All the time. We do it when we think about the forefathers of this country. We do it when we, when we think about Elon Musk and Carl Icahn and Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. We do this all the time. We venerate people, even people like Peter, right? The first pope, a, a, a man of real faith. And we put him up on a pedestal and we kind of we forget about some of their human qualities where they screwed up a little bit. And instead, we tell ourselves this story about who they were and what they did. Let's take, so Bill Gates is a great example. I, I'm a Rotarian and one of our biggest projects is the eradication of polio worldwide. Do you guys know there's still polio on earth? Do you guys know that? Like we got rid of it here a long time ago in the 50s, but there are still countries that where, where you, you get the flu and you can't walk anymore. And if it's bad enough, you can't breathe anymore and, and you either die or you're crippled. And so we're, the, the Gates Foundation is contributing hundreds upon hundreds of millions of dollars to eradicate a disease from the face of this planet. That's amazing stuff. That is really amazing stuff. And Bill and Melinda Gates are both super convicted about this. And I, you know, when they give talks to us and the World Health Organization and all kinds of people, you know, it's, it's you're like, wow. That is incredible work. But IBM came to Bill Gates many, many years ago and said, yeah, we need DOS. Is it ready to go? Bill Gates lied his behind off. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's ready to go. Yep, you bet. And he lied. And we tend to forget that kind of stuff. It doesn't make his achievements any, any less significant or less important. It doesn't cut down that maybe he had a change of heart. Maybe, maybe he's a man of faith. But we forget that people are people. We live in a broken world filled with broken people who do broken things, and we experience brokenness all the time. But we fill in these gaps to, to, to create this narrative that makes us feel more comfortable. And it's not always lifting people up. We do it to tear people down, too. We observe their behaviors. We see that they do something to us. And then we fill in the gaps, assuming we know what's in their heads and what's in their hearts. And all of a sudden, they're an evil person. Now, I know, all, I know a lot of you, and you wouldn't call somebody evil, right? But instead, you know, they're ignorant. Or whatever, I mean, whatever the case may be, right? It's, it's something. We fill in those gaps and we create these judgments. We put ourselves in the judgment seat and declare them not worthy. We elevate some, we tear down others, and we do it all the time. But even worse than that, we do it to ourselves. 
We call it self-deception. But it's, it's not a helpful phrase, quite honestly, because it, it doesn't really work that way. We, we don't have two of ourselves, and one is talking to the other, and lies intentionally with malice. Right? It doesn't work that way. So it's not a self-deception as much as we're just filling in the gaps. We, can, we sometimes confuse our own ignorance of how someone else is feeling for resilience, right? We have grit, the other person doesn't, and that's why we behave differently in different situations. Really? No. The, the, the thing about these lies that we tell ourselves about other people and about ourselves is that they're attractive. I mean, we sometimes judge people for, because we, know, we see that they are telling themselves lies, right? I, you know, hey, God's called me into this particular line of work, and, and so, you know, I know there's all this other stuff going on, but I, I got to do this. I got to spend more time doing this, and I, I've got to focus because this is, this is what I'm, I'm called to do. And, and so we, we kind of like forget about some facts and remember others a little more clearly, and the, the lies that we're telling ourselves, though, are so pernicious and so dangerous because they are so attractive. And folks, this goes all the way back to Genesis. All the way back to Genesis. When Adam and Eve sinned and ate from the, the, the fruit of the tree of knowledge, and Adam gets caught, what does he say? She made me do it. I don't, I don't think he was intentionally lying to God. I think he actually believed it. It was a very attractive lie and very easy for him to believe. It's not the lies we know are false that, are, that, that hurt us, that harm us, that separate us from God. It's the lies that are absolutely and totally believable. And we do it all the time. Especially when we're enduring things, suffering through things. And the lies start to creep in about, it, it must be my fault, I must be not be doing something right. It must be I'm not praying enough. I'm not doing this enough. I'm not, I don't have enough faith, but I'm Lutheran, so I know that faith only comes from God, so God give me more faith, but I'm, I, maybe if I just pray more and do more. But I got to give Peter a lot of credit here because he did be believe, he had faith, and I think he remembered a lot of what Jesus said. Let's take a look at Psalm 107. Remember, Christianity at this point is not its own religion per se, but it is a, a, a movement inside the Jewish faith. These were all Jews, and these guys knew a lot of the scriptures. And in Psalm 107, it says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. 
Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others he has redeemed you from your enemies. For he has gathered the exiles from many lands, from east and west and north and south. I'm going to skip down a little bit here. Some went off in ships, plying the trade routes of the world. They too observed the Lord's power in action, his impressive works on the deepest seas. He spoke, and the winds rose, stirring up the waves. Their ships were tossed to the heavens and plunged again to the depths. The sailors cringed in terror. Let's back up just one second here. Hold on, wait. He spoke, and the winds rose, stirring up the waves. God did that. So the suffering these guys went through, these sailors, God spoke and caused the winds to rise. And now the lies start to creep in. But we're going to keep reading. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He calmed down the storm to a whisper and stilled the waves. What a blessing was that stillness as he brought them safely into harbor. I wonder if sometimes we have to experience the bitter to understand the sweet. We've, we have to be imprisoned to understand what freedom means. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and the wonderful things he has done for them. Let them exalt him publicly before the congregation and before the leaders of the nation. He changes rivers into deserts. And springs of water into dry, thirsty land. He, God, turns the fruitful land into salty wastelands because of the wickedness of those who live there. But he also turns the deserts into pools of water, the dry land into springs of water. He brings the hungry to settle there and to build their cities. They sow their fields, plant their vineyards, and harvest their bumper crops. How he blesses them. Skipping down to 43, those who are wise will take all this to heart, all of this to heart. They will see in our history the faithful love of the Lord. I think, I think Peter knew that. I think very much that he wanted to believe that he was done. At this point, Peter is in his mid-40s. And he's been through a lot. He's seen a lot. One of his good friends was just beheaded. Very shortly after he experienced the miracle of the Pentecost, another one of his friends, Stephen, was stoned to death. These guys have endured a lot. And I think Peter wanted to be done. And excited at the prospect of maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe, maybe Jesus didn't really mean that I'm going to be crucified upside down. Maybe he meant that I'm just going to be led into heaven with my arms outstretched and I'm going to hold on a little bit to the world behind me so I'm being led where I don't want to go. But no, sorry, buddy. Instead, God did something different. He dropped him right back in Jerusalem under the threat of Herod Agrippa. And not only that, but it's not like he's going to get whisked inside the house for protection. Nope, he's going to have to stand out there for a while and they're not going to believe it's him. And the end of, Jesus, or of Peter's story here is really, really interesting. We're here in Acts chapter 12, verse 17. 
So he, he's inside the house at this point. He motions them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what had happened, he said. And then he went to another place. That's it. That's it. Do you know how much of the book of Acts is devoted to Peter after this point? Almost nothing. There is one more meeting between him and Paul and some of the other disciples. That's it. That's it. There is nothing else. We have to kind of fill in the gaps a little bit about what happened in history, but Peter was being called into a new chapter. This chapter had to end, and a new one had to begin, because God wasn't done yet with Peter. He probably wanted to be done very much, but God said, I've got other things planned for you. And he goes on to become the first pope. And Christianity eventually, a couple hundred years later, it took a little while, becomes the dominant religion in Rome instead of being persecuted. And sometimes we, we, have, we wrestle with the fact that there is nothing in this world that God does not cause or allow. We believe in a sovereign God. There is nothing in this world that happens that he does not cause or allow. And we start to tell ourselves the lies. I just did it. We start to believe the lies that we hear. That some part of us is whispering, sometimes shouting, that he doesn't love us. But we believe in a paradoxical God. Who takes, thing, who takes people who are unworthy and makes them worthy. He makes the impossible possible. And he loves us and lets bad things happen. That makes no sense. But we believe in a paradoxical God. It makes no sense whatsoever that he would allow his own son to be tortured and killed to save someone else. Could you do that? That makes no sense. But we believe in a God for whom death is life. And it makes no sense. But it doesn't have to. For God so loved the world. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that we might, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. It makes no sense. And there's nothing we need to do. There's no prayer we need to say. There's no, there, nothing at all. He met us first. Even as we're believing these lies, he met us first. Dying is good. We believe in a God who turns death into life. And when we let something die, when we let those lies go and let them die, something new will grow in its place. I'm going to switch gears here for just a minute because that message is a hard pill to swallow sometimes. Last week we heard Dana's story 
And even this week, as I was preparing for this, I get a, I get a text from, from my wife, Kendra, that she was praying with somebody at uh, our son's school, and the lady says that, that her sister's husband just died, leaving behind a five and a, a four and a six-year-old. And it is a hard pill to swallow that death is life. But if that is where you are right now, it's okay. Because I do not want to slight your pain and your suffering. Because if you have lost someone, it's really, really hard to tell yourself and believe that death is life. And it's okay. Because there's a part of this passage that's for you as well. Acts chapter 12. Then Herod Agrippa imprisoned Peter, placing him under the guard of four squads of soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover and execute him. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. Was Peter praying? He was asleep, remember. I'm sure he prayed, but at least at this point in time, he's not praying. The community is. So if you have experienced suffering of that magnitude, this part is for you. It is our job as the community to pray. It is your job to grieve. And if you need to be mad at God, I'm going to tell you that's okay. He can take it. When you don't do that, and instead we start telling ourselves lies that I should be more faithful, this shouldn't be affecting me, if we're not true to ourselves and let that go, we become bitter. And that breaks the Father's heart. So you go on and be angry. He still loves you and he's still there. But let it all out so you don't become bitter. All right. I'm going to conclude with this. Um, if you, this is not a Pastor Aaron question where you know the right answer is to raise your hand, right? Okay, so like this is legit. If you are willing to pray with somebody today, will you raise your hand? That's incredible. Everybody keep your hands up. And just take a moment to look around. All right? All right, you can put your hands down. We're going to enter a, a time of prayer. And... We, we have a couple of different ways to do this. We will have elders of the church in different spots around. But if you don't feel like standing up and walking over, but you need prayer today, grab one of those people that just raise your hands. One more time, if you're willing to pray with somebody today, will you raise your hand? Grab one of those people. People who are raising your hands. Take a look around as we're entering the prayer time. And... 
if you feel led, that's a phrase we use a lot, but I, but I mean, if you feel like there's something on your heart, like you should at least lay your hands on somebody or pray with them, please do so. Because we are a praying community. We pray with each other, we pray over each other, and I would encourage you to do so today. So if you, if you want prayer, find one of those people, and chances are they're sitting right next to you because it was most of the people in this room. All right. It's an amazing story here in Acts chapter 12 of Peter's faith and the reality of what is living with faith. And I, would, I, I encourage all of you to, to just be still for a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to work on your hearts. And as scary as it is to invite him in to tell you what the lies are. Some of them are foundational. Most of us have built most of our personal things in our lives. When those get stripped away, it hurts a lot, and it's scary. But remember that God loved you first, and he is always there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us, for being there first. Forgive us when we're not thankful for the shipwrecks and the imprisonment and the other and the suffering in our lives but we but but you cause it and you you cause it for our good we don't understand what that means or how it works so forgive us but as we come to you as your children we just pray that you put your hands on us as a good father does thank you for giving your son it makes no sense to us but we thank you you are a good and gracious God and sometimes we just have to tell ourselves that because it doesn't make any sense what's going on but you want to hear from us anyway Lord guide us and lead us that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.